0: Welcome to episode six of Talk Racing To Me With Naomi. That's me, Naomi Tucker, your host. First things first, please subscribe to the In The Money Media. You know the drill for the best, most encompassing content in horse racing. You've more than a handful of shows to choose from. Content is king and we're providing it. Love being a part of this team. And also, I have a new logo for the show. Let me know if you like it, as well as what you think of this week's show via Twitter at Naomi Tucker, which is Tucker which 2Ks, no C, Dutch name, or email me at Naomi Tucker at Life.nl. That NL stands for the Netherlands. Lots of ground covered this week with multiple grade one-winning jockey and weighing veteran Aaron Grider. He tells us about swapping furniture and apartments between jockeys breaking into Drayden Van Dyke's trailer and how he got cast for The Sopranos. He dried himself off with the Dubai World Cup winning silks when all the towels were gone at Nadal Sheba after his victory with Well Armed in the Dubai World Cup in 2009. And he gives us a rare inside look into the memorabilia he has received from some of his athlete friends Now, a hint, it involves MLB Hall of Famer Joe Torrey and some very distinguished Yankee players. But the best certainly has been saved for last, so make sure to stick around until the very end when Aaron comes out with some gems, including chatting about his relationship with the legendary Charlie Whittingham and getting the leg up on Sunday silence. Let's start by chatting about this weekend, the reopening of Santa Anita Park. There has been a few changes, such as the jockeys living at the track in trailers brought in, especially for the occasion. What are the trailers like and when did you move in?
1: Yes, it's been very, very interesting as far as getting back. And, you know, I've got to applaud um, the Stronach group and, and management there at Santa Anita for tireless work um, it's been a very successful weekend we had full fields um 10 races yesterday and today we had uh, nine the first day some very competitive races and um, i know the handle was was very good so it shows fans around the country have been excited they've always enjoyed betting on west coast racing so it's uh it's great to be back
0: i'm so glad that everyone's back to racing in california indeed and what was that first day like arriving and sort of moving into your trailer
1: it was good i we you know earlier in the week um you know we had quite a few meetings we had a few walkthroughs of showing us some of the changes and, and things we needed to be prepared for um you know, to where the jockeys aren't allowed on the backside right now, just the essential workers, uh, the grooms, the exercise riders, the trainers. So um, everything was done a little bit different, but we had a walk through early last week and then everybody before um, coming to the trailers and and moving in on Friday had to be tested, have the results back by um, Thursday afternoon or Friday morning. And, Um, if everybody was negative, you moved into a trailer, everybody had good tests and it went smoothly as far as the move in. And I think there's, I don't know if there's 15 trailers or somewhere between 15 and 20 trailers and they're really nice. I mean, they could have gotten us just trailers, but they're, they're trailers like you would see on the movie sets. And so they've got, um, it's a long trailer, two people stay per trailer. But it's split up in two divisions. So there's a wall halfway through the trailer. And you have two separate doors, bathroom, shower in each one. it's got a small desk and a long couch, which is your bed. It doesn't pull out into a bed, but it's long, so you're not curled up. It's actually really comfortable. And then it's got a flat-screen TV with direct – direct cable on it and it's got a, a little microwave and, and a little refrigerator so by no means are we slumming it i mean Santa anita um definitely made sure we were all comfortable and and we're all grateful for for them doing that but uh this weekend's been fun it's been you know it's, it's like we were camping out where our, you know the jockey colonies um, a lot of times you hang out in the jockey's room and then everybody goes their separate ways and um is out with with family and doing different things but uh it's fun because you know the racing community is a family and it's the first time that we're all quarantined together um without the rest of our families and so it's uh it's been unique but it's been it's been great it's been fun um we're we're very close to everything we need to do uh, all the trailers are right there next to the jockey's room um, so it's an easy walk over there also an easy walk to the paddock where we get on our horses in the mornings and in the afternoon and uh yeah it's uh, it, it's been a lot of fun right? it's the adjustments but we've had a lot of laughs that gave us a chance to sit around and tell some stories there's a lot of young riders here at Santa anita but um you know anybody anytime that they can talk to people that they might have looked up uh, looked up to as when they were kids um whether it was you know mike smith uh is one of the you know most successful riders in the world uh, especially in america everybody grew up wanting to be like mike and you know i've known mike since 1987 so we've got a lot of stories and a lot of growing that we did together and over the last 30 some years and and uh, yeah it's just fun to talk to some of the young riders i was and it's always fun when, when mike gets to talking to him because it's not just stories he's he likes to edu- educate the riders not only about how to ride and do things, but, um, more things about how to take care of your finances and be prepared and know that it doesn't last forever. And so it's been educational and, uh, it's, it's really been good. We've enjoyed it.
0: I feel like I'm missing out on some great evenings there. What kind of stories are we talking about? You got me very curious.
1: <laughs> well, it could be about anything. I mean, we tell stories about just, you know, when I started riding in 1987, when i got to the jockey's room here i was riding with um bill shoemaker gary stevens uh, it was chris mccarron eddie della um fernando toro sandy holly lafitte pentai it just was on and on and on and alex solis and it was just like unbelievable that the riders that were here and just you know these a lot of people that are riding now they weren't born the last year that shoemaker even rode or um even before he passed away you know some of these young kids so they've always heard that shoemaker was one of the best but you know we can tell them stories about when we were with them and and how they helped us improve and different things and then you you know you've always got some fun stories about talking about times when you were out having fun with different people and traveling around the country and traveling around the world and you know where racing has brought us all and It's pretty amazing when I can look through, you know, every person that I know around the world and every place I've ever been and anything, anything that I've ever done, I can always relate to a horse is the reason I was introduced to that person, to that place, to that travel, to that experience. So, um, you know, it's just a lot about how we, how we respect and appreciate the animals that we ride, but it all, it all links. I mean, it's just, A lot of fun you know and then Santa Anita's made it really nice too because there's um, a big area that they've got to where we can all be you know social distancing but they they'll have dinners they'll have um, if you want to watch movies you can watch movies if you want to go in another area and play a video game you can hook up your video games to the tv monitors or you know just several different things you can do so it's been uh it's almost been like camping out without the bonfires
0: it sounds like a lot of fun and I'm glad to hear that they're looking after you all so well and you were talking about traveling the world because of horses now I want to get into that a little bit later going back to where you were saying that you and Mike were telling all the young jockey stories you told me before we got on this podcast that Mike is your sort of trailer mate but that you've bunked a few times before with him and when was this and how old were you both i mean as you mentioned you're two veterans of the sport you've kind of seen it all
1: yeah we've we've uh, we've done a lot of traveling and you know mike's one of the most successful riders ever to ride in america now or in the world i mean he's the leading breeders cup winner he's won two kentucky derbies won a triple crown rate or won the triple crown but uh he's probably one of the most fun riders you, uh, you'll ever be around one of the greatest people you'll be around and, and um most humble you know for the success that he's had so you know, i met mike when i was 19 years old in chicago uh, arlington park had just opened up after they had a bad fire um in 1980 late 87 and so it was all burnt down they rebuilt it and in 1999 when arlington park reopened is when I met Mike Smith. I turned, I just turned 19 um, the month that I got there. And uh, so we've been great friends ever since then. And so I didn't live with him there. But I, a few years later, Mike left for um, after the, the meet in Chicago in 1989. Um, it was great racing there. Pat Day was leading rider. Georgie Velasquez, another Hall of Famer. Um, he was second in the standings. Early Fires was another Hall of Famer. Uh, he was third in the standings. And I remember being there at the time, Mike wasn't known as Money Mike. Um, you know, he was a rider that came from Minnesota and riding, um, in, in Nebraska, different, d- different places, but always was a respected rider, never rode the big horses. And I remember I was, uh, I was at Arlington park for a month and I was doing, I was doing pretty good for just being introduced there and being a young rider. And, Um, They wanted to do an article on me because, you know, I'm I'm fourth in the standings and virtually unknown in the Midwest. I had done well on the West Coast my first two years. So they did an article, and one of the questions um, they asked me was, who's the best rider that you're riding with here? And, you know, that's kind of an unfair question because you ride with so many great riders and don't want to offend anybody. But I answered it honestly, and I got to the track the next morning, and, you know, the article had come out in the paper And my agent chewed me out. He said, what are you doing? You have no respect. He said, you look like an idiot. And I'm like, what's the matter? He's like, you, you said, you got three hall of famers in front of you in the standings. And he said, you say the guy that's, you know, he said, you're fourth in the standings. And you say the guy, the best rider here is eighth in the standings. You think Mike Smith's the best here? And I'm like, I just said what I see, you know, it's like, I understand that there, I said, I respect everybody, but I said, I didn't know Mike before then, but I said, boy, every time I'm behind him or with him, I, I see the moves he makes. He's always in the right spot. And, you know, I, so I had great respect for him in the short time I was riding with him. And, um, yeah, it's like, I guess, you know, 30 something years later, I don't look like a dummy for picking him out and saying what a great rider he was. But, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We've in 1990, I ended up, um, living with him when i moved to new york and i went there just for the winter and he was married at the time and he had a he had a nice house in new york everybody has basements so they had an apartment downstairs it was basement so mike said hey you can just come and stay with us and i did and so it would be like you know the middle of the winter a lot of times it'd be 10 degrees or even less would be the high of the day riding in the winter time and you know i'm pretty much underground it'd be really cold you just had a window that could see like the window is like grass level so it was like ground level that's all you see and i'd be cold and i'd turn up the heater and his wife was very nice lady but she used to come down there and she's like why you turn that heater on i said it's cold down here she said put on another sweater she said you're not paying you're not paying rent put on another sweater so we laugh about that a lot but I was always good friends with him and his wife, but there were yeah, a couple of different times that, you know, it's like in 2006, I was, I was living in New York. I had been there for many years. Mike came out here and, and, uh, and he was riding out here for a couple of years and his business got really slow. and And so he decided to go back to New York and I decided to come out here. And the timing was perfect because we've done this many times too. He's like, well, I'm going back to New York and he already had a, a place that, um, he was going to that he owned, but he said, look, I'm in this lease. Why don't you just take this place? So I'm like, great. So I just moved into his place. And, uh, you know, it's like Mike and I, we've moved so many times. And every time I leave an apartment, I've usually just told somebody else here, I'm leaving. You can have all the furniture, just take it. You know, it's too much to move around. So I was the benefactor of that move because he moved to one of his houses. When I moved here, I got his apartment and he's like, here, take all my furniture, take it all. And that was it. So um, we've swapped a lot of things, a lot of stories, a lot of uh, furniture. Now it's funny because that same furniture was in an apartment that I had here and Drayden Van Dyke now stays in that apartment. And when he moved in, I'm like, just keep it. It's just easier. You could have all the furniture. You just keep the apartment, keep everything. So. That's the jockey life. You just move around like gypsies and you end up sharing everything. And But I've known Mike and we've been extremely close friends since 1989.
0: I like all the furniture swapping that is going on. At least it's good oh, to yeah. hear that you guys are helping each other out because indeed you are living from a suitcase and that, that might take its toll As well. I'll go back to that. I'm first going to ask you about Drayden because I saw a video going around of you breaking into his trailer as apparently he locked himself out. I mean, are there any interesting skills here that we might need to know about? You must be a good friend breaking in for him.
1: Well, uh, we are good friends, but it was funny because um we all had to work well not everybody had to work but several riders had to get on horses at 6:30 that morning so i was awake but i was you know just reading um looking stuff on my ipad and i get a knock on the door it was 5 a.m and i said what's up drayden and, and he said oh man i locked my keys in the car or in the trailer i said how how'd you do that how'd you lock your keys in the trailer and he said i don't know he said i went out to get a coffee and it just locked automatically so I was looking at it and the trailers are up on, um, they're up on blocks. And it's like, I, I can't even reach the window from, you know, standing up. I can't even reach the window. So I looked around, I saw a trash can. I said, go get that trash can and we'll put it upside down and you can go in it. You know, and then he got up, you know, I put the trash can there, but then I looked from the distance from the trash can to the window. I said, man, he's still too small to get up there. I was going to make him go through it. It was his trailer. It was his trailer. But, uh. And I said, all right, I'll do it. So I got up there, but the window doesn't open all the way. We got lucky it opened at all. Um, but I got it open, and I said, man, I can fit through there, but thats it doesn't open and give you any extra space. So anyway, I was able to slide through there and, and step on through and open it. Uh, I've, you know, Drayden said, it looks like you've done this many times. I've never <laughs> broken into a house. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess when, when there's desperate measures you find a way i knew he needed to go in there and get his helmet and boots and get on a baffert horse and maybe i should have left it locked and seen if i could have gotten on it
0: <laughs> <laughs> well it's always easier to think of the best solution in hindsight right i'm sure he's very grateful yeah. for your effort i hope he bought you a coffee uh
1: we just left no we don't have to stand Anita's need supply and all the free coffees so um yeah he got off he got off scot-free there
0: Getting back to what you were alluding to before, living from a suitcase, um, when you returned back to California, sort of the racing circuit in early 2019, it had been a long ride. You had already been around the world, different states, different circuits, chasing opportunities. What does home look like and mean to you? And is California, that must be home home?
1: It is. I was born about 15 minutes away from Santa Anita. And, uh, you know, I've, I've loved traveling. I probably traveled too much if you looked at my career and, um, people said, Oh, if you would have stayed in one place, you would have done a lot better. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend to kids that are starting out to move as much as I did. But if I had it to do all over again and you told me, Oh, you would have done better if you stayed in one place. I don't know that I would ever change those experiences that I've had, um, by all the moves. I mean, I've, virtually lived you know ridden in every racetrack in the country here and then been you know overseas so many times and and you know the trips that i made to dubai and saudi arabia and to london and to you know paris and wherever it was it was just like so amazing that i got those opportunities and and uh you know i have friends all over the place that i wouldn't have known and you know it's now that i come closer to the end of my career um you know, I don't look back and say, I wish I wouldn't have, or I wish I would have done different things. It's it's what I did and I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the ride for thirty three years.
0: So would you say that for starting out riders it's indeed better to stay in one circle and sort of build up a name there nowadays?
1: Well, I believe you, you shouldn't move as much as I did, but I I do believe there's you know, there's some riders here that I thought you know there's probably better opportunities for them elsewhere and you know usually it's usually like the young kids that might be an apprentice and then they lose their apprenticeship and they might get overlooked because once you lose that weight advantage it's hard to um, pick up the mounts that you were normally getting so sometimes you know it's good for a rider to move on after that if, if they you know might have a stable or somebody that a trainer that says, look if you come to Golden Gate or if you come to Remington Park or where it might be, if you've got a stable to ride for sometimes it's good but you've got to you know to win races it's about access to opportunities. There's a lot of good riders that don't ever show as far as the results what they're capable of. And you know that's what that's what it's all about is finding where where you fit in, where you can get the best opportunities and uh, it's about riding fast horses so um i do believe you have to find your spot just because you started in one place doesn't mean you have to stay there forever but i do believe you should get um don't be so quick to to jump on the next plane that's leaving and you know i think that was a knock that i had on my career a lot was oh you don't know if he's staying or not and um you know he, he stays for here for this meet but he's going going to another state for the next one and didn't stay on too many circuits for too long but again that was the way i did it whether it was right or wrong and you know i've I, again i've been blessed to to be so successful around the world and you know i've loved it and wouldn't trade it
0: so do you think that being back in california this is your spot and this is where you're planning to continue for a good while
1: no, i'm staying here you know it's be. I'm having fun. I still feel young. I feel great on horses. I'm, I'm, I've am I'm, actually had more fun the last two years riding than I had probably the f- five years prior to that. You know, it's just I came home and I'm just happy here. And You know, I'd love to ride more horses. I'd love to win more races. But in the meantime, I go out there. I, I really enjoy myself. Um, I don't stress about it if I'm not riding a lot of horses one week. And then, you know, I, I just know opportunities come when – Sometimes uh, they look the lowest, and you know it's when I when I found a couple of my the best horses I ever rode. Um, it was when I had no business, not when I was leading rider many times in Chicago or New York or Churchill Downs. Uh, you know, I always rode good horses then, but I found some of my best opportunities when I had no business, and it was just about being in the right place at the right time. And you know, Jose Santos was a perfect example of that too. He had a great career. His, his business had really slowed down he was getting older a lot of young riders come up and they were doing great and he was struggling to get good mounts and you know it's like he was walking by a barn one day and um Barkley Tag had, had asked Jerry Bailey to come out and work a horse and it was a New York bred maiden and you know he didn't make it out and then he asked somebody else if they could come by first after the break to get on the horse and they said, "Oh no, I've I've already got something else to get on." And Jose Santos was, just happened to be walking by the barn, with absolutely no business. And Barkley Tag said, "Would you like to get on this horse?" It's you know he's a New York bred. He's pretty nice. So he got on him, not knowing he'd be a great horse. But you know he was happy to get on a horse that might have a little chance to win a couple races. Well, he did. And a couple of those races was the Preakness and the Kentucky Derby on Funny Side. So you know, so it was. It's it's not always. It, a lot of it's about chance and, and uh, timing and just you know taking advantage of the opportunities you get and when things are down still continue to put yourself in good opportunities and places and and uh, just keep your attitude up you know it's it's uh, definitely go out there with a good attitude and, and you know things will happen so the last couple of years i've just you know i'm I've matured through the game and I've just enjoyed myself and I know I'm gonna get my my good horses, and I know I'm going to have my clients that keep me keep me with steady business. And you know, I, I, as long as I'm having fun, I'm going to continue riding. And as long as I feel great, which I do, um, I'm just enjoying the game.
0: What, what you've just elaborated upon—that must be really tough, especially mentally, to keep yourself together and to keep yourself in a good place when you're might not be as in fashion as a jockey as you were uh, years ago right how do you deal with that
1: um, i'm just a very positive person you know i don't know that i always dealt with it as, as good as i do now I've, but i've i've always been pretty pretty even demeanor you know i never got too high on my high myself when i was doing extremely well and winning riding titles around the country and i you know i never really got too down you know, it's, i'm sure it's it's disheartening at times, but, uh, you know, that's what makes you tough. And this game definitely builds your character. And, you know, so I, I don't really have a hard time. Like I said, I, I, I know I can compete with anybody and on the proper horses. And, you know, when those horses come along, I, I definitely hold my own with anybody. And, you know, it's just out there having fun. I don't ride a lot of horses, but I have fun with the ones I ride.
0: I'm very glad to hear that and getting back to riding horses when racing returned over the weekend there were no fans in the grandstand what was it like to ride in front of those empty stands it must have felt very different
1: it felt different in a sense Um, it felt different in the post parade felt different after the races you know it's, it's it's always fun to ride on the big days when the crowds are out and they're enjoying it. And, you know, whether it's a Santa Anita Derby or, um, you know, it could be the Kentucky Derby or different, different weekends when, when you got big stakes races and people are coming out after you know, a long week of work and they're coming out and enjoying the races. They're excited and having lunch and laughs with their friends and betting on the horses. And, you know, you come back and you see the cheers and you see the joy it brings them. And it definitely pumps you up. So that's, that's different, but, Um, right now we're all so excited to to ride we haven't lost that excitement Um, we're just so we're so happy to be back to work and so happy to be back on on the horses and just being able to go and this is our daily routine for many years so um, we look forward to the fans coming back I know I certainly do I like interacting with them I enjoy um, seeing them have fun at the races and you know racing needs fans and, and you know the fans that The fans that are already in love with with horse racing really miss it and you know they show it on social media they reach out to you and they really want to get back and thankfully during this time they're still able to watch on TVG and uh, you know some of the other networks and Fox Sports and some of the other tracks in the country and now that Santa Anita's back open they've definitely showed with their handle that they love West Coast racing and I imagine when when we are able to get the fans back in, they're going to be very anxious to get back out here and be at one of the most beautiful racetracks in the world.
0: I couldn't agree with you more on that front. Santa Anita Park is the racetrack that made me fall in love with US horse racing. That was by far just getting up every morning and, and seeing that backdrop, watching horses work. And then of course racing, it's just, it's hard to describe. I invite everyone to go to Santa Anita Park, hopefully soon enough when the doors do open again. And you mentioned a little about daily routine during this sort of forced break in the racing schedule. What was your daily routine like?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I still always do, uh, some physical stuff. You know, I'd ride my bike every day, go running every day. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, people think I'm very social and I can be in, in the social environments, but I'm also pretty much a loner i mean i go home and i'm i'm you know I'm, I'm very content with myself and if i'm you know home alone i'm fine with that or if i'm out with friends i have a great time and you know during the time when everybody had to be quarantined um you know i said i, I don't know how long it's going to be for i don't know how long before we can get back to racing and there were a lot of people that of you know maybe a little bit higher in the age that it was more at risk that everyone thought that if you were out in it, you could definitely get the virus and be in in bad shape. And, you know, so a lot of people didn't want to go to the stores and do different things. And so I, I started going to grocery stores and standing in line and to get people, you know, paper towels, toilet paper, water, whatever might be needed. And you'd stand in line for an hour. And by the time you got in there, most of that stuff was gone. And I just kept seeing people walk out of the store with, you know, cases of water and different things. And I was just thinking to myself, I said, you know, that looks like it could be a decent workout if I could just get in the if I could get in the store somehow and help unload the trucks at night, just moving the crates around and you know, unloading the pallets and stocking the shelves. You know, it's it's not like being in the gym, but it's something where your muscles are moving. It's just but more importantly your mind. Um and I was able to go get a job doing that. It's funny. I went to the, uh, the store right by me and I had asked him if they needed any help. And he said, no, we're okay. Um, but thanks for checking. And I went by the next day. I said, I just wanted to check by. He said, no, I told you we're okay. Thanks for checking. We'd already hired some people. And I went back the third day and I said, he said, I already told you. And I said, well, I just wanted to see, you know, with the virus and everything, maybe somebody changed their mind. Or maybe somebody got sick. He said, no, we're good. And I waited two or three more days. I didn't go by. And then like fourth day I went by and I said, uh, I just wanted to check with you, see if you need any help. And he said, damn, you're persistent. He said, you can start tonight at midnight. And he's like, I told you no many times. And I'm like, you don't get a race tracker," I said, I get fired every single day when I'm out there. And I said, I walk by barns every day. You need me help? No, no, no. I said, I only got three no's from you before I got a yes. I said, I get more than that many times before I get on a horse. So I said, I'm used to the no's. So that's, I, I ended up getting this job and, um, I had fun. I, I mean, I really had a blast. It was, I was working just part time, but they ended up having me work, you know, basically four or five times a week for several weeks and I'd go in at midnight and get done at six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, whatever they needed. And uh, it was fun for me because I know a lot of people that were just quarantined. They were bored, they weren't sleeping good, there was nothing for them to do. And I'd go, get excited to go to work. And when you're unloading the trucks and stocking the shelves, nobody's really around you. Everybody kind of handles their own. Um, crates and you're on different aisles and I'm able to put my headphones on and either listen to an audio book or music. And so it was just great for my mind. And then at the same time, while I'm stuck in the shelves, I was able to purchase some of the products that I would have stood in line for um, to help other people. So, you know, when, when products came in, I still could only get the limit, whether it was one, one or two items each, whatever the limit was for every other customer. But, it was great. So after work, I'd have my car and I'd go make two or three deliveries to different homes. And I never knocked on their door. I would just leave it on their doorstep and then drive away and then um, just call them and say, you got a package on your front door. Just It just made it a lot easier than people coming out and wanting to say thank you and shake your hand and hug you or whatever it might be. And I knew we were social distancing, but it kept me busy. It was fun for me. If I could help some people in a little way, it helps me a lot by doing it and uh just mentally and and you know you you feel good about doing something like that but i i enjoyed the work itself because i needed to do something to you know just be able to relax and and keep myself uh in action keep my blood moving i was gonna say it's the first time i've ever i've never had a job in my life i mean i've been a jockey which you know it's, it's hard work and and everything but it was a dream when i was four years old so that's all i've ever done so to me, I don't look at myself as having a proper job. It's you know, I, it was a dream and it just was what I get to do for a living. But, you know, when I when I went there and the first day and I, I filled out an application and that was the first time you told me no, but it was like, I don't know how to fill out an application. I'm like, what is it, what it's like I can give you a resume. I've won almost four thousand races in America, I won this race, I won that. And, and like I've never been anywhere where they've asked me about you know, where have I worked in the past? What are the hours? What's your experience? I have no experience doing anything. You know, it's like, but it was funny. I've never, that's first job application I've ever had. I'm almost 50 years old and I wasn't sure how to fill out a job application been working all my life.
0: (laughs) Well, there's a first for everything, but I dare say that keeping busy and being able to help others is also one of the greatest ways of dealing with this pandemic and staying sane and they must have been so grateful and so happy with your help um I don't know
1: you mean the right the the people I was helping or the yeah. grocery store the people were. Oh, yeah. I mean the grocery <laughs> store
0: I'm assuming they weren't loading you with praise or something but <laughs> it's funny at the grocery
1: store they don't even know what I do for a living most of them you know I would just go and do my own thing but yeah it was it was nice I mean I was able to um, you know, in just a small way, be able to help, you know, make it easier where people didn't have to go out of their homes if they felt uncomfortable with it. And, um, I had one friend that was extremely ill um, with the virus, and so I'd stop by um, his girlfriend's house and just help help her out, and you know, just drop things off at her door and stuff because. She was in quarantine and he, he just got out of the hospital the other day. He was in the hospital 64 days. He was on the ventilator for 31 days and they gave him 1% chance to live. And, uh, it's amazing. Like he's been made a great recovery. And after more than two months in the hospital, he just walked out of there three days ago. So that was, uh, some people that think it's not serious and say it's overrated or making too much of it don't know anybody that's really had it. Um, but you know, you definitely want to, you want to respect everything they say about keeping social distancing and washing your hands and everything you have, because I've seen the effect of somebody that you care about and, you know, the struggle that they had with their life. So, um, I'm, I'm glad that it seems like we're getting things under control and it's glad that we're being able to open things back up again. And, you know, we, I think we're going to, everybody's gonna have a different kind of respect and about we approach, how we approach things and, You know, it would be nice when when not only racetracks continue to reopen, but when other businesses do and, you know, people can get back outside now that it's coming to summertime and, you know, hopefully can get back to some sense of normal, whether it becomes the same old normal it was or the new normal. You know, we'll we'll always find a way. Life changes and we evolve.
0: I feel like it's going to become some form of a new normal, I think, but I agree with you. I I really hope. That we get the chance to all go out again and do everything that we used to do. I'll be for a while with social distancing involved because as you just mentioned, I think it's really hard for people to relate to how bad this disease can be when you don't have that experience with it. I'm very fortunate. I don't, I haven't had anyone close to me have it as of yet but i do think that's because we've all been so good in social distancing and quarantining so i think it's phenomenal that you've been helping people out doing so And now you're back riding again have you been able to continue some of the charity work that you were doing
1: um i only worked once in the last three weeks so when i first got there was when everything was being shut down and it was mandatory everybody stayed in so Literally, the store would be when it opened. The shelves would be cleared, and then the next night, you know, I'd I'd work when the customers weren't in there. But you'd go in there and like just row after row. The shelves were cleared, whether it was food and the toilet paper and the paper towels and the waters It was gone. So it was a lot more work, and they needed more people. in. so now that it's kind of balanced out and people aren't as panicked about it and realize that sh- new shipments are going to continue coming in. they're not bare shelves any longer so I'm not needed as much and I told them look you know there were a couple nights I went in and some of the other people that were on part-time needed the hours and I was like look if you know if you want send me home early and so you know I've gone in once in the last three weeks to to help them out once but now that I'm back to racing, I probably won't do too much. But if they if they call me when all the quarantine stuff's over and they needed some help, I had fun. I'd do it here and there.
0: <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Let's divert to something different. You haven't just... Been active on the track you've had a few roles in television now as a jockey i was going through sort of a list of things that you've done you had a role in sopranos as a jockey i did what was that like and <laughs> did you make any friends on set
1: um actually i got it because i became friends with them before i got on set it was i was living in new york at the time and it was right after 9 11 that there was just New York. I've never seen a place come together like New York did. Um, you know, it was, was, uh, I lived, I was, I lived right by Belmont park. I was riding there in aqueduct. And so when that happened, I was going to a lot of charity events. Um, just the public came together and then there were some great events where they would have, you know, a lot of the actors and actresses, sports, uh, you know, athletes would go, different people just trying to do whatever they could to generate money, helping the families, the firemen, policemen, everybody that was, you know, out there on the front lines after nine eleven. 11 There was so much um, heartbreak and loss and, you know, panic. And just, it was nice that the community all came together in, in a huge way. And so I ended up at a lot of the same events that you know many of the sopranos and actors and um you know just ended up talking with them a lot and we became very friendly and then one day i was at aqueduct racing and the clerk of scales said i had a phone call and so i went to the phone i said who is who's on the phone and they said i don't know it's somebody from the sopranos i'm like yeah right nobody's from the sopranos like they wouldn't just call me in the jocks room and anyway it was one of the um, producers and, uh, casting crew or whatever, and, and, said, uh, said, we want you to come down. Uh, we need a jockey for a small part, but, uh, you know, they said that they wanted you to come down and, and be the jockey that just, but that was all because I had met them through the charity work. And so it was a lot of fun because it was very short that I was on it. Um, I was, I was not, I had no role in it at all other than you know 20 30 seconds talking with with them that i was on the screen um but the fun thing about it was you know every week when you get a new script they all get together they sit in this big room that's uh, got tables all the way around it so you're sitting there, like on the walls around this big room so everybody can see each other and they read through the scripts well somebody with the part that i had would never be invited to that but because I got to be friendly with a lot of them, they said, come along for the reading and we'll have a lot of fun. So it was, it was a blast because, you know, you, if you watch the Sopranos, they're all characters anyway, but a lot of them were a lot the same, um, in real life. And, and they, you know, they had food in the middle. Everybody had a drink in front of them. They were reading through the lines. It was just funny to see them at, as they're reading the script for the first time and how they're doing it. And it was just, it was a blast. We really had a good time. And then, after the filming of it, it was great and then, when the premiere um, for that season was opening, uh they invited myself to the and a friend to the to the opening so we got to go to that and the party after so yeah it was it was a neat experience because um again there's horses that brought me to that as well you know it's uh it was it was a lot of fun to to work with them and become friendly with them and see all the great work that they were able to do for. Um, the survivors and and for the the, the people that affected from nine eleven.
0: i do think horse racing allows us the opportunity to meet people from all walks of life including celebrities and so this was in new york you said now yes. do you have any celebrity friends from hollywood i mean california
1: um yeah i mean i mean i've i'm friendly with a lot of them very close with a lot of athletes that are celebrities just because i think as an athlete you have a you know, common respect for each other, whether it's no matter if it's baseball, football, basketball, whatever it might be. I think I look at them and, you know, like football players will tell me, man, you guys are crazy. I watch the race. You guys are crazy. I'm like, crazy. You guys get hit every single play by a guy that's 320 pounds. And I know you're going home sore every night. And I said, I go there and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm celebrating when I'm done, but I'm like, I go home feeling great. Like, man, you guys are crazy, but it's just fun. I think there's a common respect between athletes. And so, you know, through that, you become friends. And, you know, I guess it's, I guess you meet a lot of interesting people and, and many of them would be considered celebrities.
0: No, there was another um, TV series that you were involved with, Animal Planet produced Jockeys, which aired about 11 years ago and featured... Some of the best jockeys on the West Coast, some of them still writing such as your friend Mike Smith. I, I had a few looks at some of the episodes, and some of these scenes depict quite a rivalry as well as arguments and difficulties. Now, how much was seen, or was it sort of like a real reality show and that actually happened?
1: Um, I think in any show, there's, you know, things get dramatized a little bit, but I would say, you know, the storyline was a good storyline as far as that does happen. But, you know, you can always dramatize it. We had, there was, I think seven of us that they followed around virtually 18 hours a day and they did it for two seasons. And then there were a few other people that, you know, they would follow from time to time, but um, you know, they, they piece things together. You could have said something on a Tuesday that they put in something conversation that you, said the following friday and you're like i didn't say that but you know it's all it's all fun but i mean they did a really good job as far as i think people were interested in it they got to got to watch the um the work the the behind the scenes you know it's um i think a lot of times people say oh they they get on horses and just go around there and you know they're lucky they don't have to work much but you know, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's not just getting on a horse for two minutes, every race. It's, it's a lifestyle that we live getting up early in the morning and, you know, the chase of trying to find your next good horse. And even though we're all good friends, it's, you know, if I get on it, I'm beating one of my better friends out of it. And, you know, every time I get on a horse, somebody else is getting fired or I'm getting fired because somebody took my horse. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, I thought it did a, they did a good job as far as, um, educating people about the racetrack and then of course they got into mike smith and you know the relationship he was in and different different relationships that some might have had with the husband and wife relationship or um a competitive edge they you know kind of made it joe and i and you know it's like in in a fun way joe joe talamo and i and it's uh joe and i are really good friends so You know, we play around all the time and I I guess we are competitive against each other. And, you know, we we high five each other when we win, but we also give each other a hard time and, and, you know, kind of knock each other in a way that we laugh. And um, so, I mean, they weren't far off on anything. I thought they did a really good job.
0: Well, there was one scene that I remember, which was with you and Joe Talamo, that he had beaten you on a horse that was named after your daughter, grace grider right. and that he gave you the winning picture but you gave it back to him was that real
1: yeah it was but we, i was laughing about it, but yeah he did he he's like here and i wanted to buy you a picture give it to your daughter yeah. my yeah, cat thanks joe so anyways um that was real but joe's joe's like one of the most fun people to be in the around the jocks room with he's he has no shame and just is like the will pull a prank on anybody at any time um you know, sometimes he pisses you off. It's like, not now, Joe, but you just laugh at everything he does. He's just hysterical. And yeah, I mean, anything you see Joe do, do, as crazy as it might look, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty real. That's Joe.
0: What would be one of your best memories from filming that show?
1: Um, I think just the best memory was just all of us getting together. I mean, different times they'd have us meeting up to go to dinners together and do different things. And, um, I had a lot of fun. They do, you'll, they'll see a lot of shots in there that they'll show races, but then you'll see like a real close up of their, of their feet or like when they're real close and showing the horse's heads, bobbing up and down. Those were, those weren't, um, actual race footage that was done. We had to show up on non-racing days and they would do different scenes where, they would say, "Okay, we need three of you together," and put us in different positions because they wanted to like link it into a race. Like as they were getting a close up of an actual race, so we had a lot of fun with that. There'd be like a truck in front of us with you know all these big Hollywood cameras on it, and then maybe a truck behind us or beside us doing it and getting all the um, close up angles. But we really had a good time doing that. And then you know we'd have lunch every day while we were filming, and we just spent a lot of time together. I just thought it was fun for all of us to. Um, get together and do something for racing that that, that uh, or at least bring attention to racing and have a have a good time with it
0: So they were filming you guys as you were sort of working some horse, or where did they get the horses from?
1: Um, well, the ones the ones that they were wanting, the close-up shots, I mean, they, they had access to, to watch us doing our actual work every day, getting on morning workouts, being in the jockey's room on racing days. They followed us everywhere. But on the non-racing days, they would say, OK, we need to make a few scenes where we get close-ups. And they would get them that might have been retired racehorses. Um, sometimes um, they have some people that might have some show horses, and they would say, OK, can we use these? And, you know, whether it's shows or different things, just some pleasure horses. And it might, you know, sometimes you're just in a position where you're sitting in the starting gate. So you'd have five or six horses that, you know, don't have to break out of the starting gate. Or, you know, so you'd just be sitting on sitting on them. Or sometimes you'd be, um, say, doing a mock, like run down the back stretch. Well, you could be on different horses that, again, might have been X race horses. And you only go like a sixteenth of a mile with it. But they can use because of all the different angles and different cameras they have, they could use different pieces of it to where they could go from the actual race to like splicing the, the close up shots into it to where it looks like we actually rode them for much further than we did. So, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of different horses that we used. And, you know, like I said, many of them were, um, X race horses. Some of them were ponies. Um, but they all, they all had their purpose and helped us out with it all for sure.
0: It sure looked incredible. The quality of the series is very good, even though it's starting to get a little bit dated now. It was 11 years ago, so you can tell that it's a little bit different in terms of format nowadays. But I do recommend everyone to have a look because I enjoyed watching some of the episodes. And the TV show actually leads up to your bid in the Dubai World Cup. You went over in 2009 to compete, which is for many young jockeys an absolute dream. What was it like for you going over there? Did they bring you out in a nice car and got you to stay in the Maiden Hotel?
1: Well, they definitely took good care of us. I've gone there 19 times now. So by the time I went in 2009, when I won the World Cup, that was probably, I don't know, maybe my sixth or seventh time to be there, maybe eighth. Um, I used to go um, with other opportunities. So, you know, but that was the first time in 2009. I I went in 2008 to ride well armed and he ran third. So that was the first horse that I actually rode in the, in the world cup that had a great chance. I had ridden it race in the past and it was, um, just a great experience being there and just being around the world's best horses and this event that was the biggest race in the world and just everything that they do all week long. Um, they make sure that, you see the best of Dubai and they have events and parties every night as far as, um, showing off their culture and different things. And it was just great experiences, but, uh, you know, there's nothing like the opportunity to ride a a really good horse in the, in the richest race in the world. And, you know, be able to go there not just say you rode it, but go there and say, "I, I think I can win it and be able to do it. So, you know, that's, uh, I remembered this down the stretch, he won by 14 lengths and, uh, you know, that's unheard of when you're running against the best in the world. And he ran the race of his life and he was always a good horse, but he outran any race that he had ever run that night. He picked the right night to run his best. And I just remember, you know, so many things can go through your mind in a short amount of time. And I just, I remember thinking you know it's like man, I went started in Tijuana, Mexico, and here I am winning the world's richest race, and then i you know i I thought of my brother that was in this grandstand i you know just thinking of different things, it was like down the lane, and you know it's like I was just in awe, you know, like the last you know the last eighth of a mile was pretty much slow motion I mean I knew what was going on, I knew I was going to win, and you know the last sixteenth of a mile, all I was doing was petting him on the neck and uh you know, just petting well armed and it wasn't it wasn't because I was celebrating, I was thinking him. You know, he brought me on the ride of my life through the prior two years getting there and he was a horse that was never supposed to have run again because of injuries and he overcame all that and, you know, just to to do it do it in the fashion that he did and you know, just I was just being like this is amazing and just you know, it's not too often you can be in any race where for a 16th of a mile, you can just pet your horse. But to do it in a race that was, at the time, the biggest in the world, uh, was pretty special.
0: It certainly was one of the most impressive Dubai World Cup wins. And great training performance by Ian Hardy. Yes. As you mentioned, the horse had had a prior injury and was actually, I think, slated to not continue racing or even possibly put down. So for, for him to come back and do what he did is incredible. Now. What happens when you win? You you get off the horse. You, also, you, you know you go through all the normal proceedings. But what then? What is in store for the jockey?
1: Well, the other years I was there, and I'd watch friends of mine, whether it was Frankie Tory or Jerry Bailey or different riders, win. You know, there's always a celebration, and then that's the last race of the night. And Dubai always puts on a big show of everything. Fireworks are going off, and then after you go shower and do everything, there's the Certain part in there, like their Turf Club Black grandstand area. They have, like, everybody's up there. The pressure's off. They're just celebrating this great event that, that we've been there for a week for. And, you know, everybody's now relaxed and having a few drinks. And, you know, sometimes in Dubai, like some of the years I went there, like one year, Santana, um, Elton John opened, played for an hour and a half. And then after that, Santana played for a couple hours. I've been there when Janet Jackson sang at the racetrack and Sting. And just like they always make a huge party after the Dubai World Cup. And so now I win it. i have getting presented the gold whip, the trophy, and stand there with Owen Hardy. And, you know, just like it was just – it was amazing. Um, Sheikh Mohammed presented me with, with the – trophy and uh, Bill Kazner, the owner, and was um at the time it was Windstar Farm, Bill Kazner and you know, just everybody was up there celebrating and just like loving that moment and it just started to rain and it was just like the coolest thing. And then they swept me away from there and brought me straight into um the press conferences and I was in there for a little over an hour. And that was the last race, not only of the night, but the last race they ever ran at that racetrack, Nat Al Sheba. And so after I was done with the press conferences, I walked back into the jockey's room, figuring I'll see Frankie DeTorey, Mick Kanan, all my friends. And it's like, high five. And I got in there. There was nobody in there. Nobody but one guy. And he was sweeping the floor. And I'm like, there was nothing in there because the racing was over. There was, it wasn't a towel. There was nothing. I literally walked in there. Quiet as could be. I was like, "Wow, nobody high five, nothing." So I walked in. I went and took a shower, and I didn't have a towel, so I literally dried myself off with the soaps I wore in the in the race, so I could dry myself off, and then put my suit back on. And then my my brother said, "Are we going to go over to the party?" And I said, "No, I think I'm just going to go back to the hotel." And that's what we did. You know, he's like, "Why? You just won." I'm like, "I know, but I experienced it, and I just want to enjoy it." And we went back to the hotel and. Um, later that night I went upstairs and had one drink with, uh, Mr. Kasner and his wife and then Owen Hardy and his wife. And, you know, we talked for a little bit and just, uh, you know, all got to enjoy it together. And that was it. I had a really quiet night. It wasn't, uh, people think, always ask me, how did I celebrate? And I, I didn't that night, but I didn't need to, I, I, I felt totally fulfilled. I didn't need to go do anything. I was just, I wanted a quiet night just to enjoy it and relax. It was fun. It was. I probably should go back and I wish I look back on some of the ways I celebrated in the past. I'm like, man, I wish I would have done the same that night. I could rewind a lot of times and say, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have gone back and celebrated the way I did quietly with the World Cup many nights. Yeah.
0: I mean, a quiet celebration can be just as good. I love it. Now, I have another question. This comes from a curious apprentice jockey, and I'm not going to name any names, but he was wondering if you get a Rolex when you win in Dubai during Dubai World Cup Day.
1: That was 2009 when I won it. You got a a watch after 2010. They started giving out um, watches. I did not get one. Um, The following year, they started giving out the watches, but many guys have gotten them. But I didn't. But I went to Saudi Arabia. I've been to Saudi Arabia 31 times and Dubai 19 times. And so a lot of times when you would win, you you know, I have gotten watches in the past. But it wasn't for a trophy or it wasn't anything else. It was just a, a gesture of um, gratitude when you won big races sometimes when you travel around the world. But now you see it quite often um, in the big races when you win the Breeders' Cups and different things. Usually one of the trophies is a watch because it's sponsored by... Um, great watchmakers
0: i think especially as a young apprentice jockey you're you're looking up to these incredible big meetings and big races and thinking no i wouldn't say dollar signs in your eyes but you're thinking of the the glory and and what you get for winning so i completely understand the question but you did say you get you got a diamond whip now that's must be taking up a nice spot in your house it's
1: it's a gold whip and it's yeah i guess it's probably about 26 27 inches long and then on the on the end of it the um on the end of the handle is shaped into a beautiful horse's head and on the mane is rubies emeralds diamonds and sapphires real small um so it's really it's a really pretty whip but i i've never put it up anywhere i've got it in a safe and uh Not even at my house. It's not. It's uh, It's in, It's actually at Drayden's house. What? And uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, it's yeah. It's just that in my safe. I, I respect it. I just, you know, I don't have any pictures of me up in my house. I don't. I don't know. I, I I, I don't have any trophies up. I think I gave most of my trophies away. It was never the prize to me. was always about the win itself and the memories I have from each horse I rode um but yeah i don't uh it's i don't know why i never i never hung a lot of pictures and i think when i was 16 17 i got a lot of my pictures and you know luckily my mom kept it and you know made some scrapbooks that she has i'm sure one day i'll like to look back on some of those wins and but yeah i I, when i won the breeders cup or the world cup i never I never framed any of those pictures, and you know I, I respect them. And I have, I still remember the feeling um, that I got from each and every race. And you know, to me, you can't frame that. It was all I needed. And the horses are amazing.
0: I have to agree with you that horses are indeed amazing, and I've been very fortunate. They've taken me around the world as well. I can understand you not showcasing the trophies, but I do believe that. Memories are depicted in in a great way by pictures sometimes, but you know each to their own, I love pictures, especially of great moments so i have
1: i have some I've just never hung over my house, you know it's like I've given some to my mother and my brother and different friends and um you know i just i i like pictures i have you know I enjoy sports memorabilia, I enjoy different things, but i uh to me you know it's i don't need to see pictures of me all over my house i i know what i've done and i'd rather look at somebody else doing something i it's like i'd rather have a picture of you know a friend of mine winning a race than my own self winning you know it's i'm proud of what i've done but i've got you know jerseys from the yankees and different things basketballs and different things in my house that that's to me that's what i enjoy it's like other people's accomplishments
0: oh who have you got hanging in your house then
1: um i've got the yankees sent me joe Torre, who used to manage the yankees and then he came out and managed the dodgers for some time uh when i was in new york i used to go down in the dugout and became friendly with all of the players so when i won my 3000th race joe torrey sent me a jersey that uh, he signed it was you know it was, he used to play and he sent me a jersey of his number but then he had all of the Yankee from that year, sign it. And it was uh, Hideki Matsui, A-Rod. It was Andy Pettit. It was Roger Clemens, uh, Derek Jeter. Um, I mean, it was just, it was like the list, uh, you know, it was just, is amazing. And it was so cool. Like the jersey says, you know, Aaron Ryder, congratulations on your 3000th win. Joe Torrey and all the guys signing around it. To me, that's cool. Um, I've got a, I've got a, Basketball from game six, the 1996 um, uh, NBA playoffs when the Bulls beat Seattle um, for the championship. So I got a ball from that game and it's got the whole team, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Rodman, Kerr. Um, To me, that's kind of cool, especially now. It's funny because there's the show The Last Dance um, following – it's a 10-series uh, documentary following Michael Jordan's run through, through the Bulls um, championships. And a friend called me that I hadn't spoken to in years. And he knew I had that basketball when I was in Chicago riding. And uh, he said, do you still have that ball? And I said, yeah. And then since then, he's told people and different people have contacted me trying to buy it. But so far, it's still sitting on my shelf. But the numbers are getting higher. It's going to move soon
0: so i mean wow that's a quite a nice little collection you have there and you chatted a little bit or you mentioned them frequently your family have they been supportive and involved throughout your racing career
1: um yes i'm as far as my family they got me into it. my grandparents are the ones who got me into racing um they've both passed away since but they were big racetrack fans and so they, i was at the racetrack when i was like two years old i was coming to Santa anita all the time and by the time i was four i said i'd be a jockey and um that, luckily they lived quite long and were able to enjoy several years of you know the, the early part of my career um my father got to see the first year i i rode before he passed away and then um but i've all my family's always been very supportive and my mother still enjoys coming to the races from time to time and my kids never were really into it and uh that didn't bother me. I mean, I've I've always brought them to the track to see the horses and they enjoy that. But um they had different interests and you know, that's what I want for my children to do whatever they choose to do and um so it's uh you know, I I don't know if I have everybody appreciates what I do. They know I work hard at it and they know I love it. So for that, I have support. Um, but I just, I just know that uh, I'm fortunate enough to do what I always dreamed to do. And I, I hope that my, my children are as fortunate to do the same, find that passion and go after it. And, you know, right now my son is doing it. He said he was going to be a Marine when he was about 13 years old. Now he's, He's in the Marines. He's 20 years old. And funny enough, he's stationed in Dubai and he's uh, guarding the U.S. consulate there. My daughter's just graduating high school this month. So, um, you know, I hope she goes on to do all the things that she uh, aspires to do.
0: You hinted a little bit at support throughout your career. Now, I heard from some mutual friends that you had quite sort of a special relationship with charlie whittingham would you be able to tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah charlie was um you know a lot of people called him the bald eagle and a lot of people called him sir charles but everybody called him the greatest and you know one of the greatest of all time but when i first started racing i was 16 years old and you know to come from tijuana after just a couple months of racing i i was received very good support from the horsemen in southern california and you know craig lewis was putting me on a lot of horses and i started riding for different people and the more you win the more attention you're getting and you know charlie was one of the first first guys with the big stable um of steak horses that you know had me come over every day and i was working a lot of horses but he was giving me good opportunities too you know when i was 16, I was working horses like Ferdinand and just other good horses that, that he was winning stakes with. And I wouldn't always ride those, but I was riding very good horses for him. And then um, before long, I was riding um, horses in grade one races. And, you know, he put me on my first grade one winner when I was an apprentice. And, you know, it was just I, I, I went on another horse and he gave me an opportunity to choose two horses. to choose between two horses he was going to run. And I chose a horse that, um, I hadn't been on before and I won and I beat the other horse that I took off of, um, by a head. So it was, it was great. And I mean, Charlie was just a guy that always took the time to talk to you and, you know, he'd always tell you a story and he said, you know, do it this way, my boy. And, you know, you just, he he demanded great respect without asking for it. You know, you just looked up to him, and I just always I loved how he cared about other people. And you know, he, he taught you to respect the horses um, first and foremost. And you know, I, I one day I was on a, um, i was working Sunday Silence in 1980. I guess it was 88 as a two year old, and you know everybody knows what a great horse he was. And so when I got on him. When he first came into the track, I was like, "Wow, this is the best horse I've ever been on, Mister Whittingham." And he started laughing, and he's like, "Son, you've only been riding a few months, but he is a very good horse." But he let me know, you know, it's like I know he's a good horse. But uh, you know, funny thing is, a couple months later, he ran, and Pat Valenzuela rode him um, his first two starts, and then there was a day where he wasn't going to make it. He wasn't going to make it to the races, Pat. Um, and in his third start, it was at Hollywood Park, and Charlie Whittingham told me that uh, that morning, he said, look, I don't think Pat's going to make it. He said, I'm going to need a writer for Sunday Silence. He said, it's either going to be you or McCarron, but you'll be in the room, so I'll let you know later. And I'm like, you know, just the just the idea of him saying me or McCarron, I'm like, wow, that was an honor in itself. You know, I was a, not only a big fan of Chris McCarron's, he he helped, you know, he was was a great mentor of mine just always took the time to help me with different things during the races. And, um, he was somebody that I looked up to so much. And I was in the jockey's room that afternoon and that day had gone like halfway through the the card and I hadn't thought much of it. And all of a sudden the clerk of scales said, Hey, Aaron, you just picked one up in the seventh and it was Sunday silence. So it was, uh, it was it was amazing when when you get those kind of opportunities to just from people you you respect at such a young young age and then they they in turn are respecting the talents and the ability that you have and uh, trusting you with with that kind of uh, you know quality of stock and and your horsemanship as a person.
0: That is an incredible story. I absolutely. Seen- I love Sunday silence him having done so well as a stallion with deep impact now having passed away but passing it on to his sons as well in Japan It's just incredible and what was he like as a horse to, to ride
1: I rode him at Hollywood Park um, in his third start I used to work him all the time and he was just a, such a handy horse he was very quick you know when I first started getting on him um he was very aggressive he had a mind of his own he'd rear up he'd strike um he he didn't have very good manners you know he was a very good horse but he was you know he was a child that knew he was talented but didn't want any instruction but um charlie was very patient with him and his assistant at the time was rodney rash and they just spent a lot of time with him and you know so i'd get on him a lot of mornings when he'd be rearing up and you'd have to you know let him know you were in charge and it wasn't his choice to do his own thing and and all of a sudden he started really respecting the commands that you'd give him and instead of you do it my way or i do it your way it was about he started to becoming you know he was still the boss and he knew that, but he would allow you to partner up with him and, you know, cue him when, to when to move and when to do different things. And that's what the talent of, of a good horse. is isn't just because they're fast. Um, it's not just because they're competitive, but what he did with, you know, in the Preakness and showed why he was such a special horse, because, you know, you can have a fast horse, but when you have a horse that can, show that quick speed to place himself in a good position, settle down. And then when horses come to move again, but then settle down again and then just accelerate. And he just had, you know, very, very few horses have two or three moves in them or will allow you to say, okay, go and then let's settle down. Um, Sunday silence was able to do that. And he had such quick acceleration. I mean, you asked for anything, you moved your hands and he would just jump and say how fast and how far. And to me, that's what made him so special. And, you know, he's to this day, you know, I've been on many great horses, not all of them that I rode, but I worked many great horses for um, some of the best in the world. And, you know, he's still I still can feel how handy he was and the acceleration that he had, you know, and for me to say, you know, one of the best horses I ever rode was a horse that, you know, I was I was around when I was 16 and 17 years old. And then to go on and Chris McCarron has said the same thing is like, uh, you know, I know I wasn't far off on my opinions, but it was just an honor that Charlie would allowed me to get on those kind of horses at that time.
0: Oh, that must've been very special indeed. I'm not going to pretend I'm not jealous because that, that sounds incredible. And anyone would have been so lucky to be associated with a horse like that. Now I don't want to, Keep you for much longer. I'm just going to sort of wrap Found this it. up with one more question. Now, you highlighted that as long as you're having fun, you're going to continue riding. Do you have any goals in mind of what you still would like to achieve? Are there a certain number of wins or a particular race that you're still gunning for whilst you're continuing? Because you've been a jockey for about 33 years. I said you said 1987.
1: Yes, correct. Yeah, so thirty-three years. I, you know, it's. I have goals within myself, but there's no certain number. You know, it's I'm I'm a hundred away from, four thousand and on U.S. wins. I've you know if they don't count the ones when I've been overseas and, but to me the number's not that important. I mean, people say, oh, you shouldn't. You know, you you're gonna try and make four thousand. You're gonna try and make five thousand. Surely, I'd like to make four thousand just because it's only a hundred away. And I'm still having that much fun. If I said I didn't want to win a hundred more races, I'd be lying. I wanted I wanna continue on. But I mean, you know, it's never been about a number to me. It's always been about the chase of a good horse. And, you know, it's like, you know, when when you can get on that good horse, the, the rush that you get, um, you know, and the build up coming up to the big races and the the let when you don't make them and then all of a sudden they come back and they win another big one. And it's like you know, that's that's what the game's about. Is like the ups and downs of this game. It, it the horses lift you so high, and it's only us that bring ourselves down because we, you know, the the expectations of each and every race, and that's that's why I love it so much. I mean, we build it up and build it up because each race means so much to us and to the horses. And then all of a sudden, they go out and win that big race again, and they've picked you back up. The horses are smarter than us; they don't let themselves down. They just we let ourselves down and they're there to pick us back up. And, and it's just, again, I'm enjoying each and every ride. And, you know, I just, I love riding horses. I love being around them. Um, you know, I don't, I, I, I won't ever be a trainer. I I won't be doing stuff like that when I retire, but I'll always be around horses. I'll just, to me, it's, it's a big part of every day that I really enjoy, whether it's just the mornings on the days we don't race and getting on the workers and watching the sunrise. And, um, I just love being around them. They're magnificent animals. And, you know, it's like, I I know there'll be a time where I move on and I do some things with, with TV and, you know, sometimes it's been for NBC sports or TVG or some of the other networks, but I'd really like to go on and do, um, public speaking. I enjoy that a lot. I'm able to go to schools. I do, you know, I've spoken at quite a few schools in the past. I like helping children, but I've also spoken to um, some big corporate companies, and and I enjoy doing that. So, I think I would I would like to do a lot more that, with that. I enjoy being out in the public and, and feeling like that I can help somebody. And you know, if I can if I can help the kids when I go to the, their schools, and you know, let them know. Don't let it just be a dream. Go after it. You know, don't let anybody tell you you can't accomplish it. Um, the only way you can't accomplish accomplish a dream is when you start telling yourself you can't. So, you know, I like I like the schools because you see the rewards and the kids that they get that spark and and that excitement that I used to have when I was a little kid.
0: I do feel like it's a re- reoccurring theme throughout your life and careers helping others or being active in some form of charity so do hope you get the chance to continue all of that during and even when you hang up your boots thank you so much Aaron it's been great chatting with you
1: oh, thank you so much have a great day
0: so that's it wrap up the show right hold on Aaron actually gave me a few documentary recommendations that I really ought to share with you all so this is off the record, but I didn't want you to miss out.
1: Did you? Do you like watching like the old racing thing, like documentaries and stuff? Mm-hmm. There's there's one on on um, Prime, um, whatever, what is it called? Amazon Prime? Yeah, yeah, if you want to watch, I don't know if you have that. But there's one that just came out last month, but they filmed it many years ago. But Joe Pesci narrated it, and I was in it quite a bit because I was riding. Um, riding some horses for the people that made the show but it's called behind the gate okay but it shows a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and so it's kind of an interesting one and it was it's like i think it's a little over an hour it's behind the gate if you want um i'll give you one more documentary if you want to watch
0: yeah for sure
1: so okay so the one the first one was behind the gate on prime Mm -hmm. and then on youtube if you want to go it's called the jockey's story yeah i was 17 like i was in that a lot too but i was 17 when i filmed that i was riding a mare called Bayakoa this year uh, she you don't see that i don't know if you remember who Bayakoa was yeah she won she won two breeders cup distaffs in a row i didn't ride her in those races but but it's funny like i'm 17 when i'm in this but then like gary stevens is young and you see the old jocks room like when i was riding there it was all those guys that you were talking about Um, how the room was full of all those Hall of Famers. But it's a good documentary. It's, you know, it shows the highs and lows of the racing, but it's it's more legit than the jockey's story. It's not the drama. It's a documentary.
0: Another few racing-related films to watch whilst working from home. So they're called Behind the Gate on Amazon Prime, and on YouTube, you can find The Jockey's Story. That's all I have for you this week. By all means, hit me up if you enjoyed the episode or if you have any requests for the coming weeks. I will see what I can do for you and I'm very much open to suggestions. Stay healthy and don't get too bored. Bye-bye.